Let's uh, focus on, uh, for the next few minutes here, uh, what, what God has to say to us. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. In Luke uh, chapter 5, we're going to pick up where, um, where Dan left off last week. Um, and by the way, uh, Dan, you did an, an awesome job. Thank you. Um, it's always nice, and I, I've said this before, but it's always nice to be able to for, for me to sit down here every once in a while and, and hear what uh, God's saying through others. And, uh, I mean, you, you fed my soul uh, last Sunday, so thank you for that. Um, in Luke chapter 5, what we're going to do is, like I said, we're going to pick up where, we, where he left off. But um, I've I seen a few new faces today, so I want to make sure that we're all on the same page and to just kind of bring you up to speed on what we're doing. Uh, what we're doing is uh, we're going through the, the book of Luke. Um, the book of Luke was, was written to um, this, uh, this man named Theophilus. Uh, this man named Theophilus, was, uh, his name means lover of God. And, and what uh, we're doing is we're seeing that um, this, uh, th- this lover of God is someone that we personally can relate with. Um, as, a, uh, as a church, we, we want to learn more about um, who uh, God is and what he, how he is active and moving in our lives. Um, so uh, what we've done is um, we set out on this journey because Dr. Luke here is writing this account to Theophilus, and he says that the reason he's writing the, the account to Theophilus is so you can be certain about the things in which you've been taught. So we're looking through the book of Luke, um, and, and we're looking at these different areas and, and uh, these different um, accounts, these stories, these encounters that, w- that we see. Uh, we're looking at these, and we're seeing that there are uh, certainties that we can learn. Uh, because the last thing that I want is, is anybody to kind of blindly go through life and blindly go through their faith with uh, an uncertainty about what it is that uh, they think they believe or, or, or they might believe or something in which they've been taught. Um, I, I believe that, that uh, the scripture is very clear. Um, the desire of God's heart, uh, he says in uh, 1 Timothy, uh, I think chapter 2, uh, says that the desi- God desires that all be saved and come to a full knowledge, a knowledge of understanding of him. This not just knowing who he is, but an interaction, a life experience with God. Um, and, and God does that. We, we see uh, multiple times how, how God in the Old Testament uh, breaks into the, um, the human history uh, of this nation of Israel. Um, and, and what we do or what we need to see is God hasn't stopped breaking into human history today. Uh, he continues to break in and, and impact people's lives uh, to this day. So what I want us to do is as we're going through um, our, our Sunday routine, and, and that's sometimes what this gets, is our, our Sunday routine where we come and we hear uh, the, the teaching of Scripture. What I want us to do is to make sure that we're, we're letting that penetrate deep into our lives um, because God wants to speak to you. He wants to use you, um, and, and uh, you have to be wanted uh, or, or wanting to be used um, because God's not going to force anything upon you. So with that, it's kind of you know, a condensed version of why we're doing this, this whole Luke series, um, but uh, that's where we're at. So um, Luke chapter 5, this is, this is a cool story. 
Uh, this is one of those stories that um, most people, so if you've been in, if you grew up in church, this is one of, of the stories in which um, the Sunday school teacher used the flannel graph and they used the, uh, the, the, the little things that stuck up there to explain the, the, this paralyzed man and, and what, what's, what's happening or what happened with him. Um, even if you're not, uh, or even if you didn't grow up in, in, in church, you've probably heard the story about uh, this guy getting let down um, through the roof uh, to, to be in front of, of Jesus. Um, when, when approaching this, I, I, this is like one of those weeks that, that I, I read, um, you know, in advance the, the text in which we're going to be going over, and I'm like, man, this is going to be a, a, a breeze. The, the, the text, the, 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 the scripture itself preaches itself, and, and all I need to do is stand up there and just, just read it and just let God do his, his thing. Um, and God does that a lot of times. But as I'm reading it and as I'm looking at the surface of uh, this text, um, uh, about two or three days into it, God revealed there, there, there's, yes, there's some surface uh, topics which we'll discuss here, but there's an even deeper issue that's going on here that um, I, I think that uh, is going to impact every single one of our lives in here if we take it seriously. So we'll get to that in a second. Let's read through and let's just talk about uh, um, what is going on in this, this scripture. So um, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, it says, uh, on one of those days as he was teaching, who's he? Jesus, there we go. Um, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So real quick, if, if you're not um, a, a geeky guy like me, um, you probably wouldn't pick this up, but um, what Dr. Luke is doing here is he's bringing a, a, a new group of people onto scene here. Uh, the, the Pharisees and, and the scribes, this is the first time in which the, the, that uh, Dr. Luke is going to um, refer directly to them, which is important for us because it's going to have, that, that's going to be one of um, the, the, the surface area discussions in which we're going to have. But I, I think that if we kind of, if we just read through that real quick, we'll just kind of, we'll miss what's really going on. So it says right there in verse 18, it says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. So, okay, picture in your mind a lame man on a bed. Um, he's being brought in. He's lame. He's paralyzed. He's being brought in. And what they're doing, they're approaching this house where Jesus is at. And um, they're, they're coming up to the door, but they just, they just can't get in. It says, but finding no way in to bring him, or to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So they went up, you know, literally raised the roof, right? We thought, we, we hear that, 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 that terminology, we're going to raise the roof. Actually, they, they raised the roof and put it over so they can then let their friend down in front, to, uh, in front of Jesus. It says in verse 20, and when he saw their faith, so when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, he didn't say like, man, your sins are forgiven. No, he was being directly looking at him and saying, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Let's look at this. Um, Because I I think there's a really good lesson that, that, that we all can just get right off the surface of this. Uh, on the surface here, what we see is we have um, these friends of, of, this, um, of this lame man, and, and they want to bring him in to, uh, to, to see Jesus. Why do they want to bring him in to see Jesus? Well, uh, we know that, that his, the report about Jesus' healing has been, is now widespread. People are hearing that this rabbi, this guy, this teacher is healing. He's making the blind see. He's making the leper clean. He's making, I wonder if he can make the lame walk. So they're like, okay, we've got to go see this guy. Because Johnny here, he's paralyzed. We've got to get him to him. Let's go. So they get in their ambulance or whatever. I'm sure it wasn't an ambulance at that time. They got their, their, their men. It, it doesn't say exactly how many there were. So I'm guessing there's probably, you know, four or five or six. Uh, if, if Bobby was lame, it would probably take more uh, to... <laughs> lo- what? <laughs> yeah, if he, it would take more. And if you were lame, it probably wouldn't take as many. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, it's going to take some time. I mean, so we don't know exactly how many, but we know that there's more than one. And they said, okay, we're going to take our friend. We're going to take him to this guy to get, to get healed. Well, they take him there, and they get to the door. They're so very close. They're like, we can see him. It's kind of like Derek standing in the, in the, the sound booth in the back. I can see him, but I just, I, we can't get to him. Well, why couldn't they get to him? Well, it says because of the crowd that there's so many people crammed into that house that they couldn't get into him. So did they give up? No, they didn't give up. Well, they said, well, okay, we're going to do plan B. We're going to climb up on top of the roof, go, you know, go up the fire escape or whatever. And, and um, no, there wasn't pride, no fire escapes. But they went up on top of the roof and they started peeling back these tiles of this house. Remind you, it wasn't their house. So it was a bold step. Um, But they were doing whatever it would take to get their friend in front of Jesus. And and it says that they lowered him down. And and when they lowered him down, uh, he was in the the presence of Jesus. And he says, Jesus says to him, man, your sins are forgiven. But then he says later, he says, rise up and walk. Well, we can see this and and we can say, well, this is a really good example, a really good picture of what enduring faith Uh, looks like, and and understanding that that my faith can have impact on those around me, which is very true, very true. So um, depending upon who uh, you're surrounding yourselves with um, is going to depend upon the results in which you have in your life. Uh, and, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted the kids in here today, because too often we want to hang out with the cool kids, and, under, and what we need to understand is usually the cool kids are the ones that are getting in trouble, and they're just sucking us down into the bad, uh, their, their bad ways, because uh, misery loves company. 
Misery loves company. When, when, the, when the cool kids are getting sucked into trouble, they don't want to be in trouble by themselves. They want to pull you in. But understand at the same time, if you're going to be a, a good example and you're going to be uh, uh, willing to show your faith, and, and I'm not just talking to little kids here uh, or the, the young adults, I'm talking to the old adults as well. So if you're willing to show your faith, you're going to have, um, you're going to have impact on those who are around you. And I see this of, you know, I could stop there and say, okay, this is, this is what we need to do. We need to surround ourselves with people who have strong faith. That way that, that, that our faith is seen and, and we impact those that come in contact with us. And we can be very true. Absolutely. That is one certainty in which we can have. Enduring faith um, provides or gives proven results. What we have, the, the enduring faith, the, the, the determination of these, of these men and the guy on the, uh, the, 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 mat, the paralyzed man himself had a faith where he, he, they knew what they needed to do. So that's just one surface level, um, one surface level lesson which we can see. Um, another uh, surface level lesson I think in which we can see is that of the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. Um, well, I should say it's in conjunction with the Pharisees and the scribes. Being that, that Jesus um, uh, specifically addresses them, uh, being that Luke says, okay, this is the first time in which the Pharisees and the scribes, I'm going to identify them, doesn't mean that they weren't around already, but he's saying I'm identifying them. He, he identifies them as being in the crowd, but then he goes on and says a statement um, he, he, that uh, some of us might get kind of confused about. It says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Well, the question then is, well, was the power of the, uh, of the Lord, and that Lord there's Yahweh, uh, the God of, of Israel, was that not with Jesus to heal all the time? Well, what is significant about this is why Luke wrote that little statement in there, that little sentence. He's identifying that the power of the Lord was with Jesus because you have the Pharisees and the scribes who um, in their minds and in the minds of the people were the authority, the religious authority of the time. So this here is just setting up the, 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 uh, the, the, the scene here for when Jesus says, so that you know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He's looking at the Pharisees and saying, okay, the authority does not lie in you. The authority lies in me because the authority in which I have has been given to me by the Father, by Yahweh himself, Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament. He's being very, very, very clear in that. So when we see this, that's another like uh, surface level lesson that um, Jesus does not go out of his way, but he makes it very direct to say, I have authority in which you do not have. My authority comes from the Lord, and, and I do have authority to forgive sins. This is going to be paramount. This is paramount for us today because we know that it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that he, you know, he died on the cross and by him being buried and raising again that we have forgiveness of sins. Granted, we can't stand in front of Jesus where right now and he says, man or woman, your sins are forgiven, but we know by what he has done and what he has promised us that we do have forgiveness of sins. So this is another one of those awesome moments where we can see um, in this text that, that, that um, Jesus is being clear. This lesson to be learned. 
So it's not only a lesson for the, the enduring faith of um, the, this one uh, group of people, the, 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 man, the man who's paralyzed and his friends, but it's also a lesson for the religious people of the day. And, and I say that, and most of you kind of get when I, when, when I talk about religious or religion versus relationship. Um, religion is defined as man or, or woman, mankind trying to make their way to God. And, and, and what we need to understand is religion is not what God wants. God wants relationship. Religion, and this is what these, these um, uh, Pharisees and the scribes were doing of the day, even though that they had the written law and the written word of God, they were taking it to an extreme where they were putting, they were taking and they added a whole bunch of do's and don'ts to what it is that was written um, so they can say, um, I'm righteous and you're not. God loves me more and he doesn't love you. And, and in doing that, Jesus makes it perfectly clear, I think here, but even better other places, like you're missing the boat. I love when Jesus, I think it's in John, he talks, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he says, you know what, you're missing it. You search the scriptures daily for eternal life, but it's me that they're talking about. He's like, you're missing the boat here. All authority is given to me, and since all authority is given to me, then I have the power to forgive sins. I, I love this. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, get, I get geeked up because when this power is manifested um, in front of these people, Jesus goes after the heart. Not only the heart of the Pharisees, he's going to go after the heart of the, the, um, the, the layman and, and, and his friends here. And, and this is where I believe um, we can get past the, the surface. And I hope that I, I've, I've proven and I've given you a, a strong case that these surface lessons are not um, uh, unimportant. They're very important. But I think there's a deeper issue that we need to, to view here. Because some of us are saying, well, I'm not lame and I'm not a teacher of the law. So what, what does this really matter? Well, what is at stake here is a heart condition. So if we're, if we're following along here, we, we see that um, when, when uh, the, 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 men bring the, or the, the men bring their friend and they, 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 they uh, lower him down, and when the, the Pharisees see this, that there's something more going on below the surface than above the surface. And Jesus was aware of that. Notice what takes place. When, when the man is lowered down in front of Jesus, what is the first thing that Jesus says to him? Your sins are forgiven. Actually, technically, his first word was man. But anywho, um, no, he, he says, your sins are forgiven. I was told today that I'm being very literal. Yes. Who's seen Guardians of the Galaxy? If you haven't seen it, you got to see it. Anyway, because then that, I'm not even going to say a joke because it won't make any sense. So anywho, when, when this man was lowered down in front of Jesus, uh, Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus did not say, rise and walk. The first thing that, that Jesus was looking at was not the, the physical condition in which this man was in. 
He was looking past the physical condition, and he was looking at the heart. And this is not just the man that he was looking at their heart. What does he say to the Pharisees? Why do you question in your hearts? So even though we have a diverse group of people here, what we have there is a similarity that there's something going on in their hearts. I think it's worth noting that there are some things that are specific to um, each of these groups of people. We'll say that one group of people is the man and his friends, and another group of people is, uh, or are the, uh, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. If we're going to look at both of these groups of people, I think one thing that we can say about the first group of people, and we'll say the first group, of, uh, the, the man and his friends, one thing we can say about the, the man and his friends is um, they had a selfless heart. They were, they were very selfless. Uh, contrary to the selfish of the Pharisees. Well, how can you say that from this text, Lee? Well, I can say whatever I want. I've got the microphone. But how can I say this? Well, we see just by the actions of, this, the, uh, of these men that they're taking their friend, and you have to understand that the friend was willing to go, so he was just as self, selfless as the rest of them. They, just this action of, of getting to, or, t- or taking them showed this selflessness. They were not um, going to let uh, their own situation determine what needed to be done. They were willing to go above and beyond what, what needed to be done. Not only were they selfless and they were, were they willing to go above and beyond what needed to be done, they were determined. They couldn't get through the door which is going to be a point in my other, in my other, the other column. But they couldn't get through the door, so they said, we're going to go up on the roof. Here's a side note, and this, is, this has to do uh, kind of with the first lesson that I, that I, that I, I, I uh, referred to. But if nothing else, uh, kids, got little, little young adults, sorry, I'm not, you're not kids, you're young adults. Some of you act like kids, but you're young adults. Act like young adults. Anywho, um, young adults, listen, l- let me ask you this question. And old people listen in when I ask this question, okay? You ready? These people went up on top of the roof. These, these friends went up on top of the roof and lowered their friend down. The question I have for you is, do your friends position you in front of Jesus? You have to, and oh, this is where the weird preacher starts. Fine, call me weird, call me crazy, whatever. But it's when your friends, those who surround you, know that you have something that is is detrimental to the state of your being. And what they do is they take you, whatever it takes, can't get through the door, but we're going to go through the roof, and they're going to lower you down and position you in front of Jesus. If you do not have friends, this is where I'm talking to the, the adults as well, if you do not have friends that position you in front of Jesus, you need to get some new friends. Not saying, don't, I'm not saying disregard all the friends that you have. Not, not saying that at all. But just think about this. When times are tough, do you want someone to console you and tell you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear? Do you have people that are willing to go the extra mile with you? Because that's the big thing. We post something on Facebook and say, I'm having a hard time, this, that, and the other. And, you, you know, people give all of their, their uh, opinions and comments and ridicules or whatever. But no one's willing to go that mile. No one's willing to step alongside and go with you through that. 
Someone who's willing to go with you is someone who uh, should be willing or, or you want to be willing to position you in front of Jesus. It, it doesn't matter what that takes. That, that's that, that, that part where, well, I have some, but if, it's, I, mean, if, it, if I fit into their schedule or if the stars align this way or um, there's not this certain TV program on the tube, um, not tube anymore, whatever. But, you know, as long as, as long as I can fit them into my schedule, as long as the kids don't have this going on or that going on or this, as, as long as it's convenient, right? Well, I use the C word. As long as it's convenient for me, well, then I'll go and I'll, I'll, I'll help them out. I'm sure it really wasn't convenient for these, these guys going up on top of the roof and tearing it off and lowering them down in there. But they were determined. They wanted to position their friend in front of Jesus. Because why? Because they knew that Jesus was going to be able to heal him. They knew that this man had no other hope. This guy wasn't just going to wake up one morning and just be unparalyzed. No, he's been this way for a long time. And they said the only thing that's going to happen is if we get him in front of Jesus. I think that not only are they undetermined, but they are, or I'm sorry, not only are they determined, but they're unshaken. They're unshaken and they're undeterred when they do hit this door and that door is proverbially shut. It's closed. They're unable to pass through this door. They're like, okay, well, there's got to be another way in which I can get, I can get there. I got to get to, I get, we've got to get him in there. Pause this column for a second. Look at the other column of the Pharisees. And, and, and uh, being that um, in the first column, the, the, these people were selfless. Uh, the, the Pharisees were selfish because of this. Um, the crowd that was in this house. Understand what a, 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 a first century Jewish uh, homestead, a house would, would look like. Um, we kind of get a bad uh, mindset and try to rationalize everything with what we know. And, we, and some people have big houses, some people have small houses, and we can fit a, a number of people. Well, the number of people that were able to fit in the houses during this time was not a, a tremendous amount. I mean, I can't give you an exact, I mean, maybe uh, 50 to, to 60, but if, they, if they, they really got close and everybody wore their deodorant, maybe a, a few more, I, I don't know. But what we know is it was um, not a whole lot, but it was significant enough that when, when they were in there, they took up all the space, and it's significant enough that when Luke says that, um, that there were Pharisees and scribes in this crowd, I believe that, that it says here that it just wasn't a couple Pharisees and scribes. It says, um, from every village of Galilee and Judea, understand those are not cities, those are regions. There are multiple villages in uh, th those areas. So from there were Pharisees and scribes who had come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. So I believe, and, and fight me later on this, fine, I believe what made up that crowd in that house was a bunch of religious people. They were inside that house. Why, well, and we're going to talk about why they were there in a second. But think about this. This is why I can say that they were selfish. They saw a man being carried up who was paralyzed up to the door, and they wouldn't let him in. 
They were more worried about what's in it for me than helping anybody else. This is where, um, this is one of my pet peeves. You guys know this with, with religious people. Because religious people say, hey, look at me, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished and everything. Oh, I'm sorry about your luck, but uh, I've got all my stuff together. <laughs> You're lame? Well, you shouldn't have sinned. Well, we're going to see in a second that that's not why he was lame, but anywho. Um, they have this, this high and mighty aura about them, whatever you want to call it. And in reality, what it is, is they're just selfish they're self-centered. They've come there just to see, okay, what's in it for me? Not only are they self-centered, but they're also self-righteous. Because as soon as Jesus says something to this man, they're like, well, how dare he say that? Well, we are the religious leaders of the day. We know who has authority and who doesn't have authority. <laughs> this guy who has calluses on his hands because he's a wood whittler, How dare him? He doesn't have all the training that I have. I'm very self-righteous, but they weren't only, only self-righteous, they were skeptical. He can't do that. Only God can do that. What does he think he is? <laughs> I'm sure they were snickering and saying, <laughs> yeah, okay, you said their sins are forgiven. I, I, I love how Jesus responds. Because Jesus says your sins are forgiven, and then he says, well, okay, because there's something wrong with your heart, uh, thou peopleist of the lawless, the Pharisees, the religious people, since there's something wrong with your heart, I'm going to do this. Because would it really be, does it really matter if I say his sins are forgiven? Or what if I just tell him, hey, rise up and walk? But that you may know. So, so, so you can feel all warm and fuzzy about yourself, actually, so you can hate me even more. But so you can know that I, the Son of Man, have authority to forgive sins. Hey, dude, get up off your butt and let's go. And what does it say he does? It says he rises up. Rise up, rise up, right? He rises up, picks up his bed, and says, peace out, sauerkraut, and goes, Right? And, and, and look at this. This is one of those beautiful moments I love. Because when he was lowered down, Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. I do not believe, again, this is my own conjecture here, but I do not believe that Jesus would have healed him physically if the Pharisees weren't there. Because, and I say that because Jesus is more concerned about the heart and the spiritual than he is the physical. Too many times we get this inverted. We think that, okay, if God heals me physically, then spiritually everything's going to work out then. When in stark contrast to this, does God want you to, to be able to um, live a, a, a healthy life? Yeah, he does. But God cares a whole lot more about your heart than he does your health. This is hard for some people to hear sometimes because we want to materialize and we want to see the power. We want to see Jesus moving and we want what well, when what the movement in which Jesus uh, needs to do the most is in your heart, which no one can see. That's that's difficult sometimes, Be, because what what happens 
is we're all about the now and the, you know, what is it? Uh, Missouri's not the only show me state. We're all show me, show me, show me people. God proved to me this, that, and the other. When Jesus saw him, he said, okay, your sins are forgiven. The healing was just kind of an added bonus to what was going on. I think as we look back then to the first column, which we're talking about with the paralyzed man and his friends, we can see that obedience is in the heart of them as well. Because when Jesus says you're healed, after he manifests his glory in front of them and says, you know, puts the Pharisees in their spot, he says, man, rise up, walk. He does exactly what Jesus tells them. There's obedience in his heart. There's faithfulness to, from these, these men to, to Jesus here. There's a lot of positive things in which we can say about these men. There's a lot of negative things in which we can say about the, the, the other group. But I, I think that, that, that there is a parallel that we need, to, um, we need to draw out really quick. And I say really quick, briefly. Both groups of people had heart conditions. We've already established that. Both groups of people had sin that needed to be dealt with. God, for Jesus, hit this head on. But both groups of people also had this commonality of that they were both seeking Jesus. So I say that because sometimes some people think, well, just as long as I just go to church, or as long as I just read my Bible, or as long as I just do it, as long as I just seek after Jesus, that's good enough. Jesus makes this fine, bold, whatever, clear, distinct line that it's not just good enough just to seek after me. Matthew 7 says that there will be a time that the people in the end will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Weren't we the good religious people who came to church every Sunday? And he's going to say, go away from me. I don't know you. You were the religious type, but you didn't have a relationship with me. And I think it all comes down to, the, it boils down to the motivation of why are you seeking after Jesus? That's the last question that, 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 uh, that I want. No, I lied. I have one more question after this. But why are you seeking after Jesus? Think about this. I asked two weeks ago on, on Easter, why are you here? Right? This is, this is kind of along those lines, but it goes a little bit even, even further. But why are you seeking after Jesus? I, I think in, this, in this, um, this story here, this account, that we can see that the one group was seeking after him for one reason, and the other group was seeking after him for another reason. The first group was seeking after him for restoration. Write that down. The first group, they were seeking after Jesus for restoration. They knew that it was only Jesus who was going to be able to restore life into this, this lame body here. So we look at this and we can see, okay, they were seeking after him for restoration. Restoration means new life. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, turn there real quick. Because what I want you to do is if you don't have this highlighted, underlined, circled, whatever you do in your Bible, you need to. Because in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
That's what restoration does. It brings the new. And and restoration doesn't happen outside of the presence of Jesus. You cannot just restore yourself. Well, I can can act better. I can behaviorally modify something. Uh, Yeah, but that's not true transformation. That's not true restoration. Only God can take you from something that is dead and make you alive. So what we understand is this first group of people here, they were seeking after restoration. I I love where it says in um, uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, uh, this is another one of these uh, restoration verses. I just look up at the screen. It says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. God is the one who makes all things new. He does that when we come into his presence, when we seek after him for the specific reason of being restored. Because there's another way in which you can seek after Jesus. And I think that this, this in, in our society, in our, our culture, um, this is where most people, or the reason why most people seek after Jesus, it's not for restoration, It's for what the Pharisees and the scribes came seeking after Jesus for. It was preservation. They they didn't want a restored, a restoration of a new life. What they wanted to do is they wanted to keep things the way in which they were, and they wanted to be everybody to be okay with that. They wanted to preserve the way in which they were living their life. They didn't want to change anything about it. I'll be the bad guy that says this. Too many of you fall into that category too often. What you want God to do is conform to your life, not conform your life to his. So you want him to accept you. Well, God loves everyone. He'll accept me how I am. Will he accept you and how you are? He hates sin. Well, he said, does he love you? Yes, he loves you, but he doesn't love the what you're doing. He, he loves you enough not to let you get away with what it is, the sin in which we're living in. The Bible says God disciplines those whom he loves. Sometimes we don't want so much love because we want less discipline, right? But this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were not looking for that restoration. They were looking at the preservation. God, let me continue on the path in which I'm coming on, and you just get on board with me. Here, I'll even put you on my back. Hop on. Right? God, just preserve the life in which I'm already living. That's not how God operates. God loves you enough not to do that. God loves you enough to say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to preserve that. If you seek me for restoration, I'm going to give you a new life. I'm not going to let you live that old life. Living the new life is a difficult thing sometimes. It's, it's not easy. Because like these Pharisees here, the reason they didn't want to, or that they were seeking after the preservation is they didn't want to give up what they already knew. Mind you that these are very um, well-learned individuals. And they had all of the, 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 the religious order down. But Jesus says all of that religious order is not going to get you into heaven. What's going to get you into heaven is all authority. I have all authority. 
Some people say, well, that's not, I, don't, I don't like that because that's in, being intolerant. I, I don't think Jesus was worried about that. He's saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Who has two thumbs and is the way to heaven? This guy, right? He, Jesus was wearing that under his robe. He was wearing that T-shirt. Uh, maybe a little bit of speculation there. But... Now, seriously, though, God loves you enough not to let you live in your sin. But are you willing enough, or are you willing to say, I want to seek you for restoration, and I don't want to, I'm done seeking you for preservation. Because if we were to stop and take a look at our life, those of us that have made that, that, that life choice of preserving this, instead of restoring this, if we were to look at our life and ask honestly, how have I done so far? How would that look? God wants us to have a restored life. He's given us the ability through his son, through the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. So this is the final question. Are you seeking, and I'm not even going to say this, I'm not even going to say are you seeking Jesus? Because I believe this, if you're here today, other than some of you uh, that are unable to uh, vote and pay taxes yet, but if you're here today, I believe that you're seeking Jesus on one form or another. But are you seeking restoration or are you just seeking preservation? Are you seeking for Jesus to jump on your bandwagon instead of abandoning everything and jumping on his? That's the determining factor. And that's the heart condition in which I believe that we can see that is the main focus and the main certainty of this, of this text here. Because God cares about your heart. First and foremost, he cares about your heart. Because this body will pass away. All of our stuff will be gone. And we're going to stand in front of him one day. And he said, he's going to say, so you, uh, you coming after me for restoration or preservation? You make the choice. Let's pray. Um, as we get ready to pray, and I know I say this every week, but as we get ready to pray, um, we're, we've, got, uh, we've got to ask ourselves that, that question. And we've got to search our own heart. I'm not saying search the heart of those around you. Search your own heart. Moms, dads, don't search the heart of your child. Your child has to search their own heart. Because they will have to, even though that you want... To, to, to step in for them, but they will have to themselves stand before God one day. So they have to search their own heart, but let us search our heart today. And as we're searching our heart, what I want us to do, we've got elements up here for um, communion. Um, and, and the Bible says that we shouldn't partake of communion in an unworthy manner, that we should reflect and, re, and, and search our heart. And what I want us to do today is when we're searching our heart, ask, our, ask, ask ourselves, am I seeking after Jesus for this restoration, or am I just trying to fit him into my mold? Am I trying to just preserve my life? Let that be the reflection that kind of that goes on. And then um, if you uh, um, feel led to take of communion, communion is open to every believer. Every believer. Everyone who's put their trust into Jesus. Because we're 
partaking and we're celebrating the shed blood and the, and the broken body of Jesus. But I'm, I'm convinced if Jesus were standing here right now, he would want you to answer that question first. Restoration or preservation? Our Father God in heaven, um, Lord, you are awesome. Uh, Lord, I, I love being able to open your word and just hear you speak. And then when you, God, you move in a way in which opens our eyes to a, 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 an understanding that really penetrates down deep, God, um, it, it's uncomfortable sometimes. But God, we know that that's because you love us and the, the, that your discipline is what brings us into closer relationship with you. Father, we ask as we ask ourselves the question about restoration and preservation that we can uh, be honest. And, and Lord, from that, uh, we can... Um, Act accordingly. Lord Jesus, we ask that you, uh, as we partake of the elements, that you um, bless these elements. As your shed blood, as your broken body, as they are symbols of that. God, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.